Hello, hello, and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is July 25th, and we have Jason Hitchcock from Third Web here to come and talk about developer tooling today. Uh, we are in a multi-chain world now. I think there's hundreds, soon to be thousands of different networks that are going to be popping up, all with their different infrastructure, all with their different like apps that they have, kind of underlying systems that they run on. And it's starting to become an issue to work as a developer across all these networks, um, especially if your application is providing cross-chain support or if you're just replicating your app and moving it somewhere else, right? It it's, can be a difficult process sometimes. And so there really hasn't been a, a great solution for this until, until ThirdWeb came along. And today we have Jason here to uh, talk about some of the issues about uh, developer tooling and why it's a big problem that everybody deals with, but nobody's talking about. So welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me here. Uh, yeah. Huge fan. Jason, tell us about yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delighted to be here. <clears throat> Been a longtime follower <clears throat> of CurveCap uh, and the Curve ecosystem. I'm so excited about for Leviathan News. I've loved tuning in every day and like hearing this level of conversation. So appreciate you having me on. Quick background, uh, I spent the last 12 years doing like early stage startups. I'd always be like the first like business guy you'd hire to build out a sales team or a marketing team. Uh, I started a startup that um, with a team of people that Twitch ended up acquiring. That same group of people uh, actually went off to go create Third Web. And so like that's one reason why I joined them. After, after I left Twitch, I spent a few years kind of starting to become an angel investor. When DeFi summer started, I started a liquid token fund that did pretty well. And now I'm a sub-advisor to a hedge fund that does DeFi investing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I invest in startups, I coach founders. And then I was working with ThirdWeb. That was a company I invested in and I was advising them. And they became a really great developer tool company that started to really get a lot of the mind share. And so I joined them about eight months ago to lead their ecosystem team, uh, where I work with all the different chains that we support and investors to support their portfolios. And like, what is Third Web? It's it's a developer tool. It's it's a complete framework for building anything that you want to build in Web three. And we were talking right before this call, like, what is like where where is this sort of in like the history of like how software is playing out? And I would just say like. If you were to go back during like DeFi summer, everybody that was like building a protocol, like they didn't actually have access to a lot of crypto native developer tools. Uh, like when a developer is like leaving, maybe, maybe like they have experience in mobile app development or web development and they're entering web three, like they've, they've been inspired, they've read things, they listen to your podcast or read your newsletter. They're like, I'm ready to do this, I have ideas. Uh, what ends up happening is developers encounter like a really steep learning curve. Mm. Uh, like, oh, it's a completely new computing platform, like the blockchain. Uh, I need to like get familiar with RPC nodes. I need to get familiar with wallets and wallet connection flows. I need to learn about like all the user experience edge cases uh, that where users fall off and find errors. And next thing you know, developers need to learn like there's like 15 big ideas that are brand new. And there's not like one place that's like introduces all these ideas to you at once. You sort of learn them through like oral history and talking to people and trying things and being like, oh, why doesn't this work? And then you need to go learn a new tool. So, so what, are, what are some of those like 15 things that developers have to come in and learn? Yeah, uh, you have to learn about RPC nodes. Like your, your smart contracts need to communicate with the blockchain. Uh, you'll need to learn about maybe gasless relayers. Perhaps you're making a video game and you you need to have transactions in your game that are non-monetized because you know you want to have a lot of your game on chain uh and not everything is a profitable transaction some things are just like hey you have like this 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 fun item um and so you need to learn about gasless relayers uh you might need to learn about just like how to deploy contracts like it's not just about like shipping your app like there's a whole flow for deploying a smart contract You'll, you might need to learn about smart contract security and like auditing and things like that. And so all these concepts uh, are like their own bag of worms. And so where third web comes in is uh, we, we make all those 
all those like tools, everything you need is all in one tool set. So like when you come into our documentation, whatever your idea is, you don't really need to leave our documentation to, to build your, your thing. We have all the infrastructure there. We have SDKs that turn, you know, smart contracts into the uh, code into like Python and JavaScript. Uh, we have fiat on ramps. So like every, every puzzle piece you need is, is, is there. And so that's kind of a new idea in crypto development. Like before you would have to sort of use a Frankenstein monster of many services uh, that all do one thing. You would get on lots of demo calls, sign lots of contracts. This is like, this is a completely different side of crypto than what you're normally talking about. But like on the dev side, like their life is a bit of a nightmare. Um, and there's a lot of tools that they don't trust. That, that, that side of the industry is building its own credibility right now. What's really amazing to me as a developer is just how much the developer experience has improved between now and like five years ago when I first took a shot at this. Like, uh, I don't know if you're around for this because you said you were like kind of fell into this after DeFi summer. Like back in the day, you had to download a special browser. Um, it, a whole experience was super clunky. It's become like a developer's dream now. Uh, and Third Web is, of course, like, I, in my opinion, like really putting together a lot of killer use cases for uh, people who are just getting their feet wet to experienced developers. Well, you, you, uh, I've seen you do some projects out there. Like you taught people how to build a stable coin once. Um, like what was your experience like as you were trying to learn how to go through that process? Um, so I'm like a little bit, uh, not your typical developer and that like I do everything using Vim, which if you know anything about development is like, um, it's like <laughs> one of like, like the most lightweight possible text editors for like very basic Linux browsers. And I got into that just because like when I started developing, like you might not, have like a reliable internet connection you might be dealing with like 56k modem um so i just never was like the kind of person that like would download a massive developer suite and like learn to make do on like uh sticks and stones rudimentary stuff um so my developer experience even despite that is like improving dramatic uh, drastically um, but just like the advances i've seen in things like remix and all sorts of other like you know, tools like like uh, Third Web. It's uh, it's really maturing, and it's like a great time for people who want to develop to be able to jump in. I think one thing that's really fascinating right now is over <clears throat> over like the years in crypto, you've had different types of I guess technologists coming into the industry that sort of drive I guess the zeitgeist. So if you go back to the beginning, you had uh, basically it was almost cryptographers and like deep technologists and even like political, like there's even like people into a certain politics were drawn to crypto. And then maybe in like the 2016, 2017 time, like there were more operating systems people drawn to crypto. And that's where you had like more layer one sort of like more, more layer ones were created. And then I think when people, I think around like the launch of compound and like initial DeFi protocols and then like DeFi summer, I think that helped spark the imagination of a lot of application layer people who are coming in. They're like, oh, like they can build a lot of different types of apps. They're really just thinking about interfaces and like and they're all pretty clunky. And then as that happened, I think you started to get like another group of application layer people, but as well as another generation of like startup business people like kind of came in. And I think like where the where the brains of like the developers are right now they're very much application layer people i think they're more interested in can my app do the thing i imagine it and want it to do and i think they're less interested in what are the guts of like this big blockchain computer and that's why like like third web supports like i was saying earlier it's like 700 chains there's like over 700 evms out there and you can deploy onto all of them and i talked to all these teams they all have business development teams that are deeply engaged with lots of projects. And I, we meet developers that are launching onto chains I've never heard of. And when you, when I talk to them, I'm like, why are you launching onto such and such chain? Uh, that's like, it's not even in like the top 300 that I've ever heard on, you know, crypto Twitter. And they're like, well, uh, they have like grants and like, I talked to their team, they're really supportive. And it does like the, it, it hits the boxes, like fast transactions and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, commodity like these chains are starting to like feel commoditized a bit 
Yeah, I'd be really interested in digging into that particular point. Um, just real quick on the subject, though, like uh, another like huge thing that came along in the past few years um, was just the development of like Infura and Alchemy. Uh, so you can connect to an RPC and fork the mainnet. Because like back in the day, you actually had like spin up your own local blockchain. Developers don't need to do that anymore. So it's just, yeah, it's like a developer paradise. So could you expand a bit more on your point of this concept that like other L2s and other chains are commoditized at this point? Like, I think that's a really interesting debate worth having. Well, so like, I think we can have like an intellectual debate about like, <clears throat> what, where is this, like, what is the optimal technology? And I, and I hear the, I hear really smart people on podcasts like Eric Connor talking about this. And I'm sure that like, they're, they're correct on like where this all ends. However, in a world of like, a lot of entrepreneurs and capital, and it's really easy to fork open source software. It seems like the there's a low barrier to entry to launching your own L2 or L1 even. Um, there's even services like Caldera and Conduit where you, they have an SDK where you can just like one click push a button, boom, you have your own, you know, you have your own EVM uh, roll up. <clears throat> and so in an area where it's really easy to launch your own custom chain that meets the needs of your app, People are going to do it. Um, I actually don't know why necessarily. Like, I think everyone has a lot of different reasons, but it's happening. And then these chains get funding, and they're all running the playbook. The playbook is we've got foundation. We have a foundation. We have a BD team that's going and talking to projects and making a pitch. We have incentives. We're funding accelerators, accelerator programs, and so like there's all these different funnels that chains are creating for developers to kind of go down and end up launching on the chain. Those funnels can be incentives and marketing and BD <clears throat> and it's just happening. And so the question I have, like these chains are functionally quite similar. Uh, I don't think devs are like debating like fractions of a second on finality or like maybe they are, but, but I don't really think they are. I think uh, developers are th like when I was mentioning earlier, like they're at the app layer, they're really more thinking about can my user experience work? And can I acquire users to build my business? And so then they're also like, what do they're really asking? Like, what, what's going to de-risk that? And the things that de-risk those questions are like, oh, they're going to give me money or, oh, they're going to help do marketing for me. Um, so I think like right now we have this phenomenon where we have lots of funded chains though. And the thing that I was wondering about off camera was like, where is this going to go? Uh, there's only so many developers. There's, there's like a huge supply of chains. Like, what does that mean? How is that going to play out? Mm -hmm. Well, as long as, the, as long as the treasuries have money to throw at the wall, right? I mean, they'll continue to do that. It doesn't mean that they get any traction, though. I think that we've seen, there's been a shift in this cycle, though, I think, with the addition of all of the app layers and L2s that are being built on Ethereum. You're now starting to see existing chains like uh, uh, Polygon, Cello, um, a few others that are already explicitly saying like, oh, hey, like we don't we don't want to have our own security set anymore. We just we just want to be an L2 on ETH. Like it's not our, our original intention was never to be a separate network. We want it to be this like side network. And now we're explicitly voting to come back into the Ethereum ecosystem and build on top um, because like <clears throat> I think the argument is, is like, why why do you need to run like billions of dollars of extra security for applications, especially in the EVM environment that are doing similar things. Um, you know, why not just have like, if it's, it's the most capital efficient to just have like ETH as the primary security uh, guarantee, and then just build on top of that and not worry about things, right? Like there's no reason to have separate sets. What's amazing is like when we talk to developers, like nobody, nobody's having this conversation. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're not like, oh, the security assumptions. Like, no, that doesn't come up. Like, well, let me let me ask a question. Is like Arbitrum has really been killing it this cycle in getting developers to come and also building a narrative as like the best place to to go and build. Like, what? Why is that? I wonder. Well. Arbitrum is amazing, but I wonder where do you get that? What does that mean to you? What you just said, like when, like what data did you grab that says like Arbitrum's killing it? Or I mean, this is just like general sentiment of when when we talk to builders. I mean, this is just the general sentiment is that like I think it's I think it's a mixture of the like the backend stuff, like all the libraries and the ability to build, plus the 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 
determination of the foundation to ensure that these projects get the funding that they need to, to try to jumpstart something on, on Arbitrum? It seems like people find Arbitrum to be like really aligned with their ethos with like mm -hmm. Ethereum. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems like they're doing really great with DeFi uh, because of like projects like GMX. Um, you know, they've also got the blueberries. Um, and then like they're focused on gaming. They launched Arbitrum Nova and they have like their orbits, like some chains kind of coming out. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, it's a great company. Um, I would say like, you know, Arbitrum, I, I think chains all have like their different focuses. When I talk to lots of chains, everybody's focusing on gaming. Uh, if you mm. talk to a chain and you ask them, what is your number one priority? They're going to say it's to sign up game developers. Mm. Uh, I think everyone's, and so I think that's like one lens actually to like look at how our chain's doing uh, because they're all focused on games. And you can just ask mm. yourself like how many games are launching? What's the gaming activity look like? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's news to me because I, I've been very like bearish on GameFi as a thing. Uh, GameFi, I think, is a made-up term. Like we we have so few examples of games, and like yeah. GameFi is sort of like DeFi with a, with a, an eight-bit wrapper around it. It's not actually a game. Um, and like, I think GameFi happens when you have real games that produce real IP that people deeply care about, and then just like Counter-Strike skins or like the Skull Trooper skin in Fortnite, like you can really sell it for real money. Uh, then we have the Fi that we can add to the game. But like until until then, like I feel like game Fi is, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm not like bearish. I just don't feel like it deserves to be a category yet. Just cause yeah, like, yeah, I agree with that as well too. That's just, it's strange. I mean, this is the first that I've heard that like all these networks are yeah. trying to get games built on them. I, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Like if you can get a decent game, people are like, naturally going to come and they'll have to use your ecosystem. It's hard to overstate how much of a bubble crypto Twitter is. Uh, crypto Twitter is deeply fascinated by trading. They're very interested in the degenomics of everything, but they're really mm -hmm. interested in DeFi. And from like our perspective, like third web in the last, like a third of developers have used third web in all of like crypto, uh, like web three development. And in the last year, like a hundred thousand devs have downloaded our SDKs. And they're making games. They're making NFT projects. None of them are really building DeFi stuff. Um, and like DeFi is a thing. It's just it's a it's a much smaller part of the development. And I think there there there's fewer projects. They're probably higher impact. They they get visibility because of metrics like TVL that like can become pretty impressive. But like I think the bulk of activity of like what kind of software is being made. People are making delightful, distracting things. And like, I think that's what we do in early software. Like if you look at the early app store, when the app store came out for the iPhone, what kind of apps did you see in the store? They were all like apps that kind of demonstrated what you could do on a phone. They would be like the night sky and you like, you'd move your phone and see constellations, or it would be like, it would be something that would preview accelerometers on your phone. Like you would tilt your phone and like the water would move. Um, or it was a button that would make a soundboard. Um, and I feel like that's kind of where we're right now with apps and people are exploring what, what sort of like experiences can we create, but talk to every chain and like any BD person and they, they will list, they will tell you the number of how many games they have like LOIs for. And, hmm. and I think it's because everyone sees like one, we know what games are. We don't need to invent like a new technology to know what like a, a delightful game is. Games are very well understood and it's not hard to add crypto elements to them i think like that though, I, that's my that's my sticking point is that like it's really hard to add in monetary transactions I think you're, 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 you're imagining like we need to create like this beautiful like feng shui like flow of money and it's like the transactions and the economy is all beautiful and it works when really like we know like if you go to like the game developers conference like they're giving talks on like Here's the playbook to make a game like of any genre. And it's like it's a science. And well, so look, I, I'm not like I am more. I'm more. I'm more oh, let me let me just let me, let me get my point a little bit. Right. It's not that it's not that I don't think that like you could integrate crypto into uh, games because I think that NFTs probably could be done something. Nobody's really done it yet. But the main thing that I see for it, that, that like gaming could like integrate is just stable coins as a payment system. So that anywhere you're at in the world, you can make, uh, you know, these free stablecoin payments 
that have zero chargebacks, zero credit card fees. Because this is if you talk to if you talk to people in like the mobile industry, which is like where a lot of these the gaming potential is, they have they have so much expenses or just lost revenue just from dealing with credit card issuers and chargebacks. Right, and but chargebacks we have chargebacks for a reason because like those protect like some percentage of chargebacks are actually good and like they protect consumers and like those issues, don't, those issues don't go away. And somebody also like game companies, like they don't need a game to be like top to bottom decentralized, like in order for no, them to no, achieve no, no. their goals. And like, there's a spectrum of decentralization that people are tapping into. Like they're really just accessing new functionality. And the point that I'm making is on the spec on the, on the, on like crypto games, like where they should start is, and where, where I think we'll see them because this is where we see a lot of people building. It's like take a normal game and just make some of the items NFTs. Like even that would be amazing because like that we know how to make those games. We know how in-app purchases work. Simply mm-hmm. putting that on chain is compelling uh, because we know like how fandom feels about these things. Like I remember playing Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time growing up, and I did the big Goron Sword quest, and I would love to have. It would be so cool if I had the original sword that I collected when I was like 11, like that'd be sick. Uh, and in this future world where these games are made, like that will happen. And like, that doesn't need to be like a genius, brand new crypto integration. It's just simply making the items immutable. So I think we're going to see a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, all, I, the, I, is, all it will take is a hit and one hit and you're going to have 50 million users like, like the whole, the number of users in all of crypto will like 10x just with one game. Hmm. That's why, that's why everyone's going after games. I understand where you're coming from. I'm just, I, I've, I, the, like the I main, the main I think that the main argument here is that you're like swapping an industry that's gotten addicted to like primary sales with, with no secondary market but, or like very little secondary market. And like, no, they do. It. There's the reveal desire out there. There are secondary markets. Uh, and like also those secondary markets don't even need to exist. It's not really that important for it to be on chain. Like I, I feel like you're prescribing sort of your vision for like what a good game is onto what is happening. Mm-hmm. And like your version will play out, but there's also going to be many other versions of how people implement like Web3 technologies that will be big. And some of them will not be like these beautiful interwoven economies, they will not be decentralized. They will just use aspects of this and that will onboard lots of players. Yeah. Does that make, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a critique against like how you're seeing it. Like, I think it's yes and. And I think people will start with simple. They're gonna start with what they know plus instead of like a brand new reinvention. Well, if they start with stable coins, that'd be great. I, I don't, you know, all the other stuff is kind of like more speculative and high risk and stuff. Uh, but the stable coins would be like a really nice place you know, to start for payments. When we talk to lots of game developers, very few of them want their games connected to the any economies. Uh, they want their games mm-hmm. in a siloed world where they have valueless governance tokens. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they find like avalanche subnets appe- appealing, like that kind of model. Interesting. Very interesting. Huh. So um, like, what is the, do you get, you guys get a good sense of like what is happening outside of like ETH and the L2s, like what's going on in like alt L1 land? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, what do you want to like? So alt, you know, we, we support Solana. So we, we do see like when we talk to infrastructure companies around, uh, even though like there's major dips in like users in DeFi, we're still seeing, a lot of infrastructure companies are saying like they're seeing a lot of activity on Solana. And so mm-hmm. I wonder, where, will there be like another wave of startups uh, that are launching? Um, there's a lot of developer activity that like hasn't launched yet. Um, I, yeah, I, I just I think my question is, is like, what is the overall health of these ecosystems? So we have like the last cycle, uh, you know, networks, right? Like Solana, AVAX, Phantom's dead at the moment, but. Um, I was just I was just looking at the numbers on like how many contract like every every week I look at a dashboard that's like how many contracts are deployed mm-hmm. on every from third web onto every different chain. And there's about 60 chains that have 
uh, 20 or more contracts deployed every 30 days. Oh, wow. And then if you go up, like our top 20 chains all have, you know, a hundred or more, a hundred contracts. And like our top 10 chains all have 500 to, you know, 5,000, you know, 2,000 contracts deployed every 30 days. There are like, and sometimes I'm always surprised, like Tyco, they're like one of our top 20 chains. Um, I learned about like Vitalik just tweeted about them, but like over the last 90 days, like they've had over a thousand contracts deployed onto their test nets. It's impressive to deploy a contract. Like these are, you know, these are thoughtful applications. So um, we're seeing a lot of, we always wonder like what's driving this. Is it genuine developer interest? Is there like something about Mantle that is drawing people to deploy on there? We're seeing a lot on Linnea's um, test nets and main nets. There's a lot of interest in base. Celo uh, um, has a tremendous amount of interest. A lot of games are very interested in them. There's a tremendous amount of interest in networks that support account abstraction. Uh, especially games uh, want to have users be able to use the software without needing to get MetaMask. Um, there's a tremendous drop off of like, hello user, you just hit an ad, come download this game or come into this app. Halt, learn this Web3 concept before you proceed down the funnel to like use our application. That's where like 90% of users spill off. And so developers are highly aware of this. This is what I mean. Like they're less interested in how the whole blockchain works. They want to know, is their user experience possible? And so people are drawn towards networks where they, they can have like smart wallets. Let's talk about account abstraction for a little bit, because I think it's a sleeping giant that a lot of the developer community has seen. And, you know, it's gotten quite a lot of talk by a, a lot of the higher ups in Ethereum, but mm -hmm. kind of really hasn't permeated into the wider crypto narrative yet. Um, obviously, you've mentioned it a couple of times in this interview. What has been your initial impressions about it? And <laughs> how do you think it's going to fit into the like developer user ecosystem? You know, I mentioned it before when we were talking before this call, I was trying to say, like, what's interesting about a platform like Third Web being very popular today and why, like, and how we have these platforms, like, we didn't have, like, these comprehensive developer um, experiences, like, two or three years ago. Uh, we're able to introduce <clears throat> this, this functionality to many developers. And so what I've seen is over the last few months, there was a lot of interest intellectually and account abstraction uh there was like people were writing papers about it they were giving talks here it's coming vitalik talked about it it also turns out those people were in the know there were a lot of networks that were you know zero knowledge networks that were building support for this this was a part of what they do and so people were becoming interested and like that's when third web got interested and like we did a hackathon and just we you know mm -hmm. over like a couple of weeks put together like a wallet SDK that would support this. And so on one side, it's like there's intellectual interest, then dev tools actually abstract that idea into tooling and make it available to people. <clears throat> and then at the same time, uh, use cases are coming out that highlight like how, where this really fits. Like we're starting to see games that are like, like when you go to the game, you click, you log in, you didn't need to have a wallet. It just generates a wallet that's tied to your device. And so now people are starting to see the solution out there in the wild. And then they go, oh, I want that. I want that in my app. Hmm. And so I think that's why we're hearing about it more because like that journey of the idea has gone from pen to paper to you can build with it to, oh, there it is in the wild. And it just feels right. So now people think it's important. So what's that process for third web? So let's say there's some new idea, account abstraction, like we just talked about, or um, like anything else that's really happening through the develop like infrastructure pipeline uh, that could be, you know, six months, three months, a year away. Like, what is that process of identifying what is uh, substantially additive to the developer process at an early stage? Uh, is it is it that you're receiving feedback from the developers that are using your system? They're writing you saying, oh, hey, I need this. Can you add this? Or are is your team essentially scouting out these ideas and trying to stay ahead of what the narrative is? 
You know, our team is, we have a whole process around this. Uh, and it's not like our first time building a startup. We're still a startup. Um, mm -hmm. but this is the same team I said that before we did a startup that Twitch ended up acquiring. That was actually a part of an idea lab where we made like eight different products. And so we get ideas from a couple places. One, like one of our company values is we're students of Web3. And like a lot of our devs are just obsessed with, like they're following, they're reading all the blogs. They're listening mm -hmm. to the podcast and, you know, they have their finger on the pulse. And so if something becomes really a curiosity to them, like I remember when Vitalik blogged about soulbound tokens <clears throat> and like literally a week later, we did a, a hackathon and then boom, it was a part of our product because people just found it interesting and they were like, this is going to be a thing. Um, another source, which is probably a bigger source, is literally our customers. They'll ask us for things and we'll uncover like what are they really trying to do? And then we'll try to innovate on their behalf. We'll look at Look at all these brands. They want to do like they're they're asking for something specific, but they're really trying to just accomplish this. So let's let's build something. Let, let's make that easier. Um, those are the main sources of ideas. It's like our customers or our sort of Web3 curiosity. And we really we try to build the minimum viable version of something just to get it out there quickly. We believe in shipping every day. We, we ship new features. We probably have a major release about every three or four weeks. Um, if you follow our Twitter account, we're always talking about what we ship. Um, and you get it out there, you get data, you see if people like it, and you rip it out if it, if, if they don't like it, or you iterate on it, and make it better if they do like it. Um, hmm. That's that's how the that's how the platform has expanded so much. When it first started, Third Web was simply a tool that let you you know remember how Top Shots had that 3D effect of opening booster packs and like NFTs came out. It started as just that, like, hey, wouldn't you want your NFT project to have that cool effect? And the process of actually building that was so difficult that the founder, like Furcon, was like, we actually have to make dev tools because like this was an effort. <laughs> and so then he started building what would sort of make his life easier. And it's now it's the full stack of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I like all this is free to come and use, right? It's all free. So yeah, for, you know, we're a web, we're a web two company insofar as like, you know, we don't have a token, we're not a protocol, but <clears throat> we have web three values in that it's all free. It's all open source and mm -hmm. it's all, it's like composable insofar as like you can, you can use our defaults. You can change the configurations to use other services. If you want to use someone else's RPC node or someone else's fiat on ramp. Uh, if we went out of business, you could fork it and run third web on your own. Uh, and we don't host your data um, and there's no contract. There's no, you could get on a call with us if you want, or you could just sign up, connect your wallet. So where, where does the pricing model come in? I mean, it's essentially like get people hooked on the services and then offer yeah. premium stuff on, on the top end. Yeah. Like the business model and like the strategy of the company is make a double, make a great developer experience. Like this is the place where you want to build um, because there are things that you will have to pay for. Like, RPC nodes, like those aren't free. Uh, we're giving them away for free to a certain scale. Mm -hmm. But like when you get beyond that, it's like, all right, now, now this is where you pay. Or we just acquired a company a week ago called Paper. It's a fiat on ramp, uh, you know? So like there's a certain charge on transactions, like that's not free. Uh, we have a wallet service um, that's, you know, we're, we're piloting the pricing of that right now, but it's similar to like Magic Link where you like have email sign-in where we generate wallets. So, and then we also like, we support account abstraction. So like we have a paymaster service. So if you're using like our paymasters, like there's a small fee, we'll probably introduce other like pro features in the future, like premium analytics or team support, SLAs for enterprises. But the idea is the developer experience is, is what is free. So you can build anything, but like, if you want to scale your business, that's where we come in. It's pretty smart. It's pretty smart. Um, and yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, the website is thirdweb.com. Thirdweb.com. Check out our docs. We have an amazing YouTube channel. Um, reach out to me on Twitter, Jason Hitchcock, if you want to talk to us. If you're a startup, uh, I can help you. Like what I do at Third Web is I help startups connect to our network. We have a huge network of investors, of other projects. I'm connected to all the different blockchains if you want to talk to anybody there. Uh, and we also have a sister company called Founders Incorporated, 
they incubate. They've made over 200 investments. They're in San Francisco. They have office space. You might've heard of Build Space. They're like out of there. Um, Third Web and Paper were both incubated at Founders Inc. Um, we also give credits to startups. We, we, we are an ally of startups. Like we're here to help you. We'll make a Slack channel with our developers. So when your hands on keyboard, we can talk to you about like, what are you building? Like no one's got, no one else going to do this for you. Like we're doing this. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty nice. Um, definitely going to go and, and tool around with it. And definitely see how easy whether you're at the beginning of your project or it's a mature project or you know how to code or you don't know how to code. Like third web is usable by all these different, these different types of people. Um, you can launch an edit. You can browse any smart contract. It's like the, you know, it's the best place to browse smart contracts. You can, hmm. you can paste any contract or search for one. We index every chain and we will like visualize the contract, show you the collections. You can interact with it in a way that's much easier than either scan. So yeah. Hmm. Third web. Interesting. Well, uh, the link will be in the show notes and everybody will be able to go and find Jason. We've got his uh, Twitter name here in the handle here at, at Jason Hitchcock. Uh, Jason, thanks. Thanks for giving an introduction to ThirdWeb, And we can move on to some other news that's been happening. Uh, we can call this like hack day because there were three hacks, I believe, that we have seen. Uh, the big one was Aralyn, which is the largest lending platform on ZK Sync by TVL. Uh, it was hacked for $3.4 million. Uh, initially, we, we reported this as being uh, uh, $1.7 million, but later on, uh, the hack was found to have been $3.4 million. So unfortunate there. Uh, I believe it's a reentrancy hack, and uh, that's unfortunate. So... Yeah, since we're on the subject of kind of developer chat, one of the interesting debates that's been going around within the Viper community, uh, which has a reentrancy protection function, is should that just be enabled by default, right? It would cost more gas for every transaction, uh, but the potential to like reduce the risk of such hacks might be worth it. So it's kind of a question in the community, like what threshold of gas saving or gas cost would offset, like, uh, would you consider to offset this? I think, like, don't you think people would be willing to pay more for that default safety in the culture and, like, having people who want to unlock sort of more functionality disable that? Like, that makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. Like, By default, you know, reentrancy safe, and then you could add a decorator to save the gas for it if you were certain. And that's only it, if you know what you're doing, right? It really feels like this is still an, un like, it's it's like numerically it's still clearly an unsolved area of development like the risk of smart contracts being live and hacks and like it makes me wonder about aud like our culture of like auditing firms and like why isn't there insurance or where's accountability uh where does it lie i don't know this this feels like an area that still needs like a lot more innovation so additionally we uh, also have a hack on PalmSwap that was exploited for $900,000. PeckShield reported that the root cause was an internal accounting uh, issue inside their contracts. And uh, this allowed for more UST to be redeemed than was deposited. Also unfortunate as well, too. What else yeah, we got? I mean, the takeaway for you know people who are getting into DeFi is that none of this is safe. Like all of these <laughs> are at risk, and you know if you are going to play with DeFi, make sure it's with money you expect that you are willing to lose. Um, and if you if you do lose it, like you just keep going on with your life. Uh, and yeah. then addition, yeah. So additionally, we also had the Alpha Po hack. So this was a payment processor. Uh, the amount of the funds that were stolen from it has risen to sixty million dollars. Also, unfortunately, <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah, and it's like, what do you, maybe like Lindy is what you can go off of, you know? But like, I was shocked by like the re-entrancy with Connick. I was like, okay, they've been, they've had money in them for, I don't know, almost a year. Um, like, why didn't that attack happen six months ago? Yeah, it's a good question. I think part of it is just the like the equation for what gets hacked is uh, you know TVL times time, right? So for exactly. a long time it was under 100 million. 
Uh, and what's really funny about the Conic Finance hack is the Exploiter F got MEV'd and only pocketed 300k off of it. So it was like 3 million um, in like total hack value or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And they ended up like walking away with a tenth of that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So uh, let's see what else. We had the Curve Tri CRV pool, which includes CRV, CRV USD, and raw Ethereum launch. That's interesting, Garrett. Yeah, this uh, came out breaking. Uh, we're the first news source to report on this, so you heard it here first, um, at least on YouTube. Uh, so basically, like over the weekend, Mitch was asking like for people who use and like uh, like Curve pools, which would be the best source of liquidity for you? Would you rather Curve ETH, Curve Curve USD, or Curve ETH Curve USD? And the latter won the poll. And sure enough, Mitch has already launched and put up uh, some incentives for this pool so uh, we might expect that this one's going to be a potentially uh, potentially interesting pool to keep an eye on hmm. does this use the new gas optimized contract like yes so like those, those are now live those are now live and we one presumes that uh, a lot of the liquidity that was in the curve eth pool is going to migrate to this what i would love to see on that curve monitor dashboard that Alunara put together would be something that gives an indication. I feel like a, like one of the metrics, like a squishy, it might be a squishy metric that the curve community sort of follows like anecdotally is trades that are routing through aggregators through curve. Um, what is curves like progress towards that? Um, like capturing more and more of the routed trades like, I would love to see that visualized to see, like, how are we doing? And, like, as things like these gas-optimized contracts go live, like, how do we know there was an impact? Like, are more trades routing through? Because that, that ultimately seems to be, like, part of the point. A lot of these innovations are around trying to get a larger percentage of these trades. All right. Hear that, Eleonora? We got some feature creep coming for you. <laughs> and then it's, like, as new pools are launched, like, does that contribute to this metric in any way? Yeah, uh, I mean, I could speak a little bit. Um, the current place that's mostly being monitored is the Telegram uh, channel. There's the Telegram Curve Monitor backup channel, which is now like, uh, it's very actively followed. There's like 100 people following it. It's how the Conic Finance hack was actually detected in the first place uh, because there's just like a running uh, running monitor of all the new TriCrypto NG activity, including like uh, as new uh, aggregators start integrating it, it uh, like gets very quickly updated with that. So it's getting close to what uh, the original TriCrypto has. So we're seeing much more. Um, uh, one inch is now there. Cow swaps there. Uh, maybe a few others. Cool. So we also had a story about uh, Chainalysis. They are being used as witness testimony in a court case against Bitcoin Fog creator Roman uh, Sterlingov who uh, created this mixer called Bitcoin Fog. And so this lawyer, Tor Ekelin, is making a defense of, of this uh, Bitcoiner, uh, or the Bitcoin Fog guy, Roman. And he's been going after Chainalysis. He says that uh, Chainalysis does not publish anything about their statistical error rates uh, and also that they don't they don't really respond to any scientific peer-reviewed papers or anything published anywhere attesting to the accuracy of Chainalysis reactor software. And this was brought up against the CEO of Chainalysis, uh, who was uh, not deposed, but uh, brought on the stand to talk about the software um, in this court case. So uh, this person. Uh, essentially said that, oh, sorry. So uh, Chainalysis is a uh, like analysis software that goes out and looks at different transactions and tries to piece together who is making what and where. And uh, it's a very difficult process. I, I think that there are ways to obfuscate uh, like transaction data to make it harder for Chainalysis, uh, especially when you're dealing with mixers like these as well too. Uh, Coinbase described the blockchain analytics service as more of an art than a science, and uh, probably because they own they offer their own uh, uh, analytics service called Tracer. 
but that's outside the question. Uh, these analytic services are becoming quite distributed across the entirety of the uh, centralized crypto ecosystem uh, to prevent illegal transactions from taking place and to uh, ensure the, uh, what would it be? The, I guess, the, 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 that, that, that all parties are uh, able to, that, that, that at least that they, they know where all this, this, these transactions are going, right? That any, any uh, uh, OFAC sanctioned parties, Iran, North Korea, are, are kept out of companies like Coinbase or, or anywhere else, and especially going after mixers as well, too. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so if you are read through the article, like you'll see that this is fairly core to the case. Uh, it sounds like this gambit, uh, you know, I, with everything I say here, I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice or anything like that. We have to have Alex Golubitsky on or some other lawyer who can actually tell us what this actually means. Um, but it looks like they're trying to make like the weakness of chain analysis a fairly central peg of their case. Uh, and this is like, as Sam was saying, like chain analysis is really big. They have like huge amounts of contracts. They're used all the time for uh, monitoring the chain and like detecting illicit activity. Um, but they like, it looks like they don't do a very good job is the kind of critique against it. Um, now, that being said, I think that the like uh, the headlines a bit more clickbaity than the actual text of the article. Mm -hmm. uh, so like in the very first paragraph, like uh, it's sort of like presenting as this gotcha moment where Elizabeth Bisbee, who is head of investigations at Chainalysis, testified that she was unaware of scientific evidence for the accuracy of Chainalysis, um, which like if, if true, like that doesn't seem like it's like uh, like that big of a deal, right? Like she might be unaware. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Maybe right. like another department did it, right? Like, so I don't think that this is like going to prove in the court of law that Chainalysis is bunk or anything like that. Yeah, and it's not going to cancel any contracts that they have with the governmental agencies that they work with either. I heard that the IRS was like the largest, this might not be true, but I heard like maybe a year or two ago, they were the largest customer of on-chain data and it was like through companies like Chainalysis. I don't know, imagine you're in court and like, what if like your credit score was used against you as like, hey, and then you're like, well, wait a minute, how did they calculate that credit score? Like, so I could, I could see like an analogy like that playing out. At the same time, like, like we should not be shocked that like there are lots of you know, like centralized from like non-crypto land parties interested in structuring on-chain data to see like who is breaking the law. Like we have laws and we have on-chain data to show behavior. So like when people have the behavior that's not legal, like they should, they're in trouble. Um, this is, this is why people should pay their taxes by the way, when you're in crypto, because like they've pieced this all together. <laughs> it's not, it is very hard to hide, I think, in crypto. It's much harder to hide in crypto than I think people give credit to. Exactly. It's like the right. only financial advice we provide here is pay your taxes, people. <laughs> uh, let's. We also had uh, some more information about uh, Y2K Finance has announced that they're going to uh, deploy repeg vaults. So... Y2K is mostly known for DPEG vaults where you can buy insurance against stablecoins depegging. Uh, but now they're going to have vaults for my and MIM uh, to allow people to bet on which direction they're going to go, either above or below the strike at where they are. And so the markets are live now. Imagine going from like a, a DPEG vault and then being correct and then rolling into the repeg vault and then being correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is super cool, I got to say, as someone who follows stablecoins pretty intently. So they are starting this with Mai and MIM, both of which are like their pegs are struggling right now. So like previously, like you had been able to like buy the DPEG if you thought it was going to repeg. Uh, if you thought it was going to like DPEG further, like there wasn't always great options to do so. I'm curious what you all think if Mai and uh, MIM are doomed, by the way. Or it's just very recover. it's just very strange. I mean, it's very strange because... Like I, I've used uh, Kidao before, and and Mim as well too. And these are like debt pays CDPs. You're borrowing, you're borrowing my and Mim against your positions so that you can get leverage or uh, essentially take these loans. And if if my depegs like I just checked the my price, it just depegged like on Sunday down to ninety one cents. That's 
that's you can buy your you can buy your debt back on like on pennies on the dollar. It's it's very strange. Yeah, so I don't really understand what's going on. I think we should be able to get Benjamin from Cheetah on to mm -hmm. talk about it, hopefully. I think it's the phantom exposure. So my, that's my uh, guess too. I talked with him a bit and he didn't seem too concerned. Uh he said that the collateralization rate's super high. So mm -hmm. um like I'd probably like, you know, not financial advice, but maybe I'll stroll on over to Arbitrum and uh try out Y2K finance. Bet on some ivory peg. So you can pick up uh my where was it looking this so on phantom you can pick my up for 64 cents on the dollar well uh but there's there's not that much liquidity there there's only two thousand two percent depth so it's not huge but it still is there but still like you know on on quick swap you can buy you know two percent so you can get like thirty five thousand dollars worth of of my at like 95 cents so you're essentially like the cool thing about my is they like Kido is they they don't have any interest on the loans. You just pay a flat fee on when you pay the asset back. So you get a a no interest loan plus you can buy your debt back at ninety five percent. Seems natural that you should go there and use that. And one thing I people remember, do. I remember the last time I was considering buying a stable coin at sixty cents, thinking like, okay, it was UST. I was like, yeah, oh my god, it's so down. No, I didn't though, but. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. One thing people don't know much about Mai is that it's um, by number of users one of the highest used stable coins because they mm. launched mostly off of Ethereum mainnet. So if you look at like the total number of users charts, Mai is always right up there. Uh, so definitely, definitely hoping for a speedy recovery for the team. Yeah. So the uh, what else do we have that happened yesterday? Uh, so now there are four bills in the U.S. Congress that are trying to regulate crypto uh there's two bills in the senate i believe and then two bills in the house and so the most recent bill was introduced by patrick mchenry that uh would come in and hopefully provide some uh better understandings about how we can navigate these crypto ecosystems um so we yeah, don't find out of that yeah, I don't have anything. Yet. I, mean, I mean, when we talk to game developers, like from Third Web, like a lot of game developers want regulatory clarity. They mm -hmm. they bring it up in conversation. They're like, "Are the assets in our game like what's going to happen to them? Like, are these are these video game assets, or are these like going to be considered some sort of like are, are like players going to get taxed when like they you know are doing things in our game? Um, that's like a real concern to them. Well, well that's going to wrap. Yep. Lawyers on for a law cast sometime this week. Go through yeah, it. Law cast. Uh, so this is going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, I want to thank Jason for coming on this again. Week? Oh, not this week. For Tuesday. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. Thanks Long for having me. It was a pleasure to be on. Thanks for giving dev tools a space, you know, in DeFi land. Um, and huge fan of what you're doing. So, yeah, glad to be part of it. Awesome. Yeah, come back anytime. My pleasure. Feel free to come back on. All right. Thank you, Jason. And we will see everybody tomorrow.